Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. We're going to take a look today as we continue this series in Ephesians. Um, Pastor Matt last week didn't speak from Ephesians, had a great message. Spencer um, uh, spoke the week before and had a great message on what it means to be bound and chained to Christ as he unpacked the beginning verse of Ephesians 3. And we're going to go back to um, that. We're going to start in um, Ephesians 3, 1 and work our way through. We're actually going to spend a few weeks in this chunk of Scripture because there's so much that Paul is unpacking here. And if you haven't been journeying with us, you can catch everything online. You can get caught up with the, the basic kind of Coles Notes big picture summary from this book that Paul is laying out for us is that we live in an inherently spiritual world, that the spiritual and the natural are not antithetical to each other. They actually are interlaced. They play off of each other. And that... Um, We can't just do things in our natural world and not expect that it'll have some kind of impact in the spiritual realm and vice versa. Paul is laying out for us a a first century worldview that's tough for us to kind of grasp because we don't live in the first century. But a first century worldview that, that intimately linked the spiritual world and the physical world. And he's about to delve into that again in Ephesians 3.1. If you have a Bible with you, I want to encourage you uh, to open it up to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. If you have a Bible at home, you should try bringing it on Sunday. Be good. There's just, I I mean, I have the version online, and I love that at times, but there's something about sitting with the ink and paper in front of you and just allowing, just absorbing that. There's something about marking your Bible and making it yours. There's something that happens when we just invest our time into the Word of God. And so Ephesians 3, we're going to read this whole um, passage together. And hey, why don't we all just stand up as we do this? You'll be sitting down for the next two hours. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just joking. Remember, Pastor Matt said, not all long services are good. I heard that part. So Ephesians 3, as we read this word of God, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me, and you read what I have written. You will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. Verse 6, And this is God's plan. 
Both Gentiles and Jews who believe in the good news share equality in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessing because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I've been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone the mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, has kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. You can have a seat. Ephesians 3, in this section in particular of Ephesians 3, is really interesting because Paul starts off in verse one, and Spencer talked about this um, a little bit a few weeks ago. Paul starts off in verse one, and it's actually the beginning of an intercessory prayer. Verse one is the beginning of a prayer, but by the time he gets to verse two, he has a digression in that prayer. He starts the prayer, and then he has a like, oh, wait a minute, I need to just clarify a few things with you. There's some underlying concepts and ideas, some realities that I want to reiterate to you. And so in the uh, very beginning of this prayer, he has this long digression. And there are several key kind of larger ideas that Paul is unpacking in the verses we just read. And we're going to talk about one of them today, but one of the larger ideas that Paul is unpacking as he is writing a letter to these Ephesians that he's spent several years with, Paul is now sitting in prison in Rome. He's in chains and uh, he has an uncertain future. As Paul is writing this letter, he realizes, hey, wait a minute, the appearance of what I'm going through may give you the wrong idea about my life and my faith. You see, you may see someone in chains who you deem to be disqualified. Like, what happened to Paul? What did Paul do wrong in his life? What did Paul mess up? Is this an area of judgment now that Paul is under? Is God judging Paul because of something that's going on in his life? And he wants to clarify for the Ephesians that they should not be confused by what they're seeing in the natural And in essence, what Paul is saying to them is, look, I know that what you see happening around you leads you to believe one thing, but I want to tell you that actually what's going on in the spiritual realm would be quite the opposite. You see me in change, but I don't want you to worry about that. I don't want you to be concerned about what you see me going through because there's things happening in the supernatural realm as I sit here in chains that are necessary for the work of God in your life and in my life. 
Don't be confused. Don't be misled. The circumstances that you see are only partially true. This is this dual world that we live in of spiritual and natural. And Paul is saying, look, even though I'm sitting here in prison, there's an assignment in the midst of this circumstance that God has invited me to, and I'm living it out. He goes on in verse 2 to say, assuming by the way that, you know, God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. In his first sort of digression out of his prayer, he wants to explain to them that there's purpose in what he's experiencing. That word responsibility is a Greek word. It's actually a combination word in the Greek. And oikos means a house and namos means the law. What Paul is saying is that there's a law of God's house that I'm accountable to and I'm responsible to and God has put me in his house to execute a responsibility. Paul is saying I have an assignment here. This period of me walking in chains right now, this, what you see as defeat on the outside could be nothing further than the, from the truth. What I really am doing is fulfilling a spiritual mandate, a spiritual assignment given to me by God. And it has nothing to do with what you're seeing in the external. That there's something that he's invited me to in this moment, in this time, in the here and in the now that I'm responsible for and responsible to. For most of us, for most of us, I, I think that when we experience a difficulty, when we experience things pressing against us, when we experience pain and trial, what we want to do is avoid it and create a diversion around it. We want to run from it. And in this text, Paul is saying, look, I'm not running from anything. I'm not waiting until I get out. You see me as weak and chained and ineffective, but there's an assignment that the Father has called me to in the here and now that I'm being faithful with. Don't be misled by what you see in the external. Paul is saying that he has oversight and management over the things that God has called him to. He's got an assignment of responsibility. Don't lose heart because of what you see. Don't give up because of what you see. Don't lose heart because of the pain or the circumstance that's bringing trial and confusion into your life. There's something that God wants to stir and do in you and I in the midst of that. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more. Paul begins to unpack that. This whole digression of Paul starts with him saying, I'm in chains for Christ. And it ends in verse 13 
with him saying, uh, please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. Paul is unpacking this deep, deep spiritual principle of the role of suffering and pain in our life. This digression from Paul, in part, I want to submit to you, is to remind his friends and the people that he's been journeying through life with for the last several years, that suffering and pain can be a powerful tool for the kingdom of God, a powerful catalyst for supernatural and spiritual authority to be released on the earth. I often wonder, there's a verse that talks about Paul, and it's in, uh, I think, 2 Corinthians, and Paul is saying that he's got this thorn in the flesh, and there's this thing that is going on in his life that he, he's begged God to take away, but God says, no, I'm not going to take it away. In fact, my grace is sufficient for you. You can do it, Paul. You can walk through this, and nobody quite knows what that is. It's a mystery, and I'm not going to purport to understand uh, with definity, definitiveness what that is, but I wonder if, if Paul wasn't in prison, if Paul wasn't shackled to a Roman guard, would he have written the epistles that he wrote? Would he have written the two-thirds of the New Testament canon that we have? If he didn't experience the confines of prison, if he wasn't relegated to using writing as the medium for him to express the truth of the kingdom of God. In Corinthians, Paul kind of um, at points is kind of hinting to a deep insecurity in his life, a deep insecurity with his ability to preach powerfully. There's parts of Acts where it says he preached powerfully but he also reveals this insecurity when these super apostles come around, these super godly people who were gifted orators. And he kind of has to defend his ability to speak and preach. And I wonder, I wonder, I just wonder if part of that thorn in his flesh was this deep insecurity that, that because he's in prison and because he's chained to these guards, and because he's confined to this, that he, he can't get out there and prove himself. He can't get out there and show everybody wrong. And so God, somehow in his wisdom, uses Paul's imprisonment as a means to initiate and deliver the truth of his word, so that thousands of years later, we can stand on it and reflect on it and live it out. Who's ever heard of one of Apollos' messages or sermons? No one. And yet he was a gifted orator, powerful preacher. Who's ever heard of all of these other super apostles or read anything they wrote? No one. And yet for thousands of years, this planet, this world that we live in, generations and generations of people have been immeasurably blessed because of the confines that Paul found himself in. 
And he's saying to his friends, don't let the circumstances that you see trick you. God is doing something. We may not always know what the big picture is. We may not know what the why is. And in fact, I believe we should never really even ask the why. The why is largely irrelevant. It's the what. God, I'm here in this moment. I'm in this circumstance. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to respond? Not why is this taking place and going on? Paul's not asking the why. He's not writing to his friends and saying, do everything you can to get me out of here as fast as possible. He's responding in the moment, that Kairos moment that Pastor Matt talked about last week with the what. What do you want from me in this moment? There's a role for suffering and pain in Scripture that we don't understand or fully get, and we don't even like to talk about it, but it's there. It's there with blinking lights. I want to talk with you a little bit about that. There's a role for suffering. There's a crucible. And I think multiple crucibles God invites us to step into that are meant to refine us, that are meant to actually grow us, that are meant to bring us to places we could not otherwise be. And the question that God has is, will Will you actually follow me into the fire? Will you follow me into the crucible? It's all over scripture. There was a crucible that Jesus walked through. He walked through several, but the most prominent being the cross. It was the very crucible that the devil and his demons believed would break the back of the Savior to end his sovereign rule, this crucible of the cross that Jesus willfully submitted to, the powers and rulers and authorities that Paul talks about. They thought it would end the plan of God, the righteousness of God, the design of God, and instead that very crucible that they figured would end God's plan to redeem mankind was the very mechanism and tool that God used, the blood of Jesus shed bought our freedom. The blood of Christ that was shed on the cross, the crucible that he walked through became the very thing that brings us life today. We're saved by grace through faith. It's the work of Jesus on the cross. It's the crucible that Jesus endured. Our instincts are always to run. I believe God is inviting us to actually stare it down and be willing to walk through. Hebrews 5, 8, and 9 says, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. He didn't learn obedience from the concept of suffering. He didn't learn obedience from the intellectual knowledge of suffering. He learned obedience through the things that he suffered. There are things that happen experientially to us that cannot be replaced with just theological understanding. We live in a Western, modern, humanist society that has replaced experiential knowledge for conceptual knowledge. 
We have universities filled with professors who've never worked in their field of educational teaching, but are teaching. We have professors teaching MBA doctorates who have never owned a business in their life because we've substituted concept from experience. And in Hebrews, it says Jesus had to learn obedience through what he suffered, through the experiences he allowed God to lead him through. The very experiences that we dart away from, that we're afraid of and terrified of, that we're scared to walk through, are the very things sometimes that God wants to walk us through by his grace and power so that we can experience something about him that transforms our life in a specific and unique way. And that was the life that Jesus lived. First Peter 4, 1 and 2. Since then, Christ suffered physical pain. You must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. Get this. This is super exhilarating and haunting at the same time. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you're finished with sin. Whoa. Just let that sink deeper than your cerebral cortex, if that's a thing. I think it is. <laughs> and then Peter goes on to say, if you do that, if you allow yourself to walk through experiences that challenge you, that produce pain in your life, not only are you done with sin, not only does that have no power over you anymore, no, no allure to you anymore, you won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you'll be anxious to do the will of God. There's something that happens in that crucible that can't be replaced by Sunday school lessons. It has to be experienced and walked out. This is the testimony of the whole New Testament as proclamation and demonstration, experience and word together, flowing together. They're not antithetical to each other. They don't oppose each other. There's things that you need to allow yourself to experience that you actually even need to choose to walk through that will actually, in fact, deepen your understanding of Scripture, that will change concept into reality, there's things that we can read and quote till the cows come home that make no difference for our lives. If you're suffering with bouts of panic, you can quote scripture all you want. But if it's only conceptual, if you don't actually move into the experiential, you're not going to find freedom long term from that. You have to experience the peace of Jesus over your life. You have to allow him, you have to face the stuff that you're entering into fully, trusting and knowing that God is gracious, that he'll sustain you, that his power is made perfect in our weakness. This is what Paul is talking about. Acts 9, 15 and 16. This is about Paul himself. These are red letter. These are the words of Jesus. But the Lord said, go, for Saul, that was his other name, is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. 
I don't know about you, but I'm not standing at the front of the line for that call, right? Like, <laughs> you know, if the pastor's asking for you to come for a response, like, all right, who wants to suffer physical torture and pain? I'm probably not moving very quickly, at least. The road of righteousness, I want, if you're taking notes, this is just an important thought and concept. I think that Paul is kind of unpacking. The road of righteousness leads through the cross. Jesus couldn't just get to Friday of Easter weekend and go, okay, good. You know what? I had a few, uh, I, I was whipped a bit and it hurt really bad. And, you know, uh, people have been mocking me and spitting on me. And I think, like, let's just stop here. I got the picture, God. I've got it. You know, I'm good. Learn my lesson. You know, all of that stuff. He actually had to walk through the whole weekend. And the invitation of the Father was to walk through the cross, not just up to it, but actually to walk through that. To trust, as Paul said, that we have a divine calling and responsibility in the middle of pain that is triggering things in the spiritual realm that we may not see in the natural, but that will become realities in the natural if we allow those things to happen. Of course, this for us, this for us forces us to confront two things that I think are, I, I deal with them at times, we all do. Two things, fear and anxiety. God, what does it mean to go through the cross? I don't know if I can go through that. I don't know if I have what it takes to go through what you're inviting me to go through. God, I don't know what's going to happen with this situation or this scenario. And fear and anxiety begin to play a front and center role in our life. And we begin to pray fear-based prayers. I have... Um, an acquaintance who said Christians are among the most fearful people on the planet. We're praying away the crucible because we don't want to go through the cross. We're praying away pain and we're praying away hardship. And I think there's a different response that we can take to those things. It's found in Romans chapter 8. If you want to turn with me briefly there, you can. This is Paul's writing again. Romans 8, 28. Some of you know that off by heart. He says in Romans 8, 28, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. But God, I see something different happening around me that would defy this, that would defy my ability to trust you in this. And Paul is saying, look, you've got to change the way you pray. 
He's about to, to lean into prayer for the Ephesians, but he's, he's kind of hinting at something here. We've got to shift how we pray. We've got to move from fear-based prayer to faith-based prayer. And how we do that is praying Romans 8, God, whatever's happening in my life, I, I ask that you would turn it into good, that you would take this nonsense and this garbage that we've been walking through, this pain that I've been experiencing, and that you would turn it into good. God, would you redeem this pain for your purposes and your glory, would you reveal yourself through this pain that I'm walking through, through the chains that I'm bound by, through the stuff that is oppressing me. God, I'm not asking you to take it away. I'm asking you to lead me through it and that on the other side, you would use it for your glory and your power. God, would this be a part of my testimony? For the strength and the hope and the might of the King of Kings in me. Without him, I could never have walked through this. Without his power and his grace and his mercy, I would never have endured. But because of his goodness, he's turned what the enemy meant for evil and death and destruction and turned it into good. That's only God can do that. The enemy comes to kill and steal and destroy. That's his assignment on your life every day, every day. And he never lets up. He doesn't play fair. He plays dirty. He kicks you when you're down. He wants to destroy your life. And the promise of God is that even when it seems like the enemy is winning for the moment and for the day, God has the power to turn that into a powerful testimony of his goodness and his faithfulness, of his grace. We need to shift our prayer posture from fear and anxiety to faith. I've been trying to do this in my own life, praying for our kids every night. That God, I'm not praying, God, protect them from all this stuff. I'm saying give them the wisdom to walk through it. And would you redeem anything, even proactively, coming at them in the future? Would you redeem it by your power? God, would you give them the strength to endure? God, would you strengthen their faith? God, fortify them internally. God, would they be strong? Would you provoke a revival spiritually in them that will allow them to walk through the cross, through their crucible? And God, anything that the enemy has meant for evil and harm and destruction in the name of Jesus, I just pray according to your word that you would transform it into something that brings righteousness and life and peace and hope and joy. I have no idea what is coming in the life of my kids. You don't know. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. That's an amazing ringtone. <laughs> We don't know. And the question is not why, it's what. God, what do you want to do with this? God, I'm in pain. I'm in anguish. My soul feels tortured right now. What do you want to do with this? What can you do with this, God? I believe that you can work all things out. And so I'm going to submit myself and surrender myself to you. I'm not going to walk up to the cross and then take a hard right, I'm going to be willing to walk through because there's an assignment on my life. Paul says in Galatians, we're going to talk about it a bit next week. He says in Galatians, and I think this is true of all of us, that God, before Paul was even born, 
God had put an assignment on his life, a purpose and a calling. The Bible says that God's call on your life and my life is irrevocable. God doesn't just change his mind and say, hey, the way I made you, let's just mix that up a bit. He has a calling and a purpose that we need to walk through and walk out, even in the midst of pain. C.S. Lewis said this in The Problem of Pain. He said, the problem of reconciling human suffering with the existence of a God who loves is only insoluble so long as we attach a trivial meaning to the word love and look on things as if man were the center of them. We have such a superficial and flat, trivial view of love that it's dominated by emotion, that it's a feeling. You've heard this before. Love isn't a feeling, it's a choice. And yet our culture is bombarding us with messages that say love is a feeling. And when you've lost that loving feeling, (laughs) what a movie that was, amazing. Can't wait for the new one to come up. That when you've lost it, you can just move on. But it's not a feeling. And when we reduce it to what Hollywood tells us it should be, we distort and disfigure the depth and complexity of love that would allow us to walk through pain for the purposes of God. Love isn't kindness. God's goal isn't to be kind to us. He is kind. And in Corinthians 13, it says, love is kindness, amongst other things. But that's not the sum total of it. And yet we live in a culture where, because we emphasize feeling and emotion over that deeper truth, we just, we play with it like it's flippant. We actually allow it to direct and lead our lives Instead of walking through the crucible in our marriages, we just jettison out the other side. I'm going to say something with as much love and respect and the fear of the Lord that I can. If you have committed to marriage... God would never tell you to leave your spouse. He gives two conditions, sexual immorality and unfaithfulness and abuse. Never mistake God's love for some Hollywood kindness. And that's harsh, I know, and I'm I'm preaching to the choir. There's been moments in Rochelle's in my life where we've wanted to pack it in, where we've wanted to just, let's, I don't want to walk through this crucible. But if you've ever felt or even said, like God is leading me out of this, you're not hearing the voice of God that's demonic. There's crucibles in our life 
that contain essential building blocks and ingredients for our faith that we must walk through. And this is what Paul is on this digression for, to say, look, take your focus and put it on the right thing. Fear puts our focus on us and faith puts it on God. Fear says, what do I lack? What don't I contain for this? And faith says, what is the supply of God? What could God do in this situation? If I allow myself to walk behind Jesus through this, what could he do and where would he lead? And this is Paul confronting this notion that God just wants us to be happy. He's confronting this notion that the Bible's about us. It's not. The Bible is about him. All the attention of his created universe is on him. It's not about us. So if we can kind of, I don't know what the word is, desaddle ourselves. I don't know if there's any horse people here, but we get off the horse <laughs> and actually recognize maybe, maybe in seasons of pain, maybe in seasons of pain, God wants to reveal something in us and through us and to us that we couldn't experience before. And I'm not suggesting for a moment that I we should look for or relish that. We're, we're not this, like there's an extreme of that called asceticism, which is like the extreme denial of self. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about actually being faithful in those Cairo seasons of our life. And Paul is saying, I'm, I'm here and I'm in prison, but I'm, I've got an assignment. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.